morning. Uh, so this is usually when our, our children go to children's church. They're about to go in just a minute, but before they do, and while they're all still in here, um, we've, we've got another Bible presentation to make, and I don't think Tara isn't here this morning, is she? I haven't seen Tara. What? Terry, yes, but Tara. Tara. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we, we had a little mix-up with our ages. We, we give out Bibles at our back-to-school blessing for certain age uh, school grades, going to certain school grades, and we had some mix-up with our grades, and we missed two of the, the girls that we were supposed to give Bibles to. So uh, we, we've apologized to those families, those girls, but we tell them we're going to make it up to you so they get their own special day of presentation in worship. So Abigail, if you want to come up here, that's what Abigail was one of them, Tara was the other, so she'll get her own special day next time she's here. And I'm going to ask the elders if they'll come up here with me, Terry and uh, Bill and Kevin, Abigail, you want your mom to come up here with you, or you, you can come up here, Abigail. And so Abigail, this is Abigail Weems. She's going into second grade. And we're excited for you and hope you have a great year. And so Abigail, we told you we, we try to make it a little more special for you, so you're going to get your own prayer. Is that okay? <laughs> the rest of them had to share, but you get your own prayer. And then you get to sing a song. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you, um, and then y'all are going to go to Children's Church. That'd be okay? All right. Let's pray. <laughs> Our Father in heaven, thank you for the blessing of family. Thank you for the blessing of, of community and for the life and, and energy that, that children add to, to our family and to your kingdom. Thank you for, for the life and, and energy that, that Abigail provides to her family and to our church family. Uh, and for her, her joy and her kind spirit. And we're, we're grateful, uh, God, to have her as a part of our family and pray that she continues to grow um, in, in wisdom and understanding in you and that she continues to be uh, a light for you in her school and uh, here amongst our church family. Bless her in the school year. Uh, bless all our students as they continue. Um, and may they all have impact and, and further the work of your kingdom amongst their classmates um, and in their school. Uh, thank you, God, for Jesus, in whom we have the blessing of, of community and family. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. All right, now they're going to go to Children's Church. So, little ones, y'all can head that direction. Some of them may have, have gone that way already. I'm going to try to figure out how to do this. All right. So we're beginning uh, a new series today on water. <laughs> Seems pretty elementary. But <laughs> uh, so water is, no, not really. Um, we're not a scientific uh, study of water. Um, but I wanted to, to kind of briefly explain how this came about in my mind. I'd been wanting to do something on, on baptism for a while, and as I was thinking about baptism um, and then thinking about other stories and examples of, of water in Scripture, uh, I, I started as, you know, one thing leads to another, and it kind of grew into this series about water, in which we're going to examine the nature of water in Scripture, all of which is going to be leading us to a discussion of, of baptism. And I wanted to kind of have a, a more kind of broad uh, discussion and look at water in Scripture because I think as we follow the narrative and the, 
the stream, if you will, of, of water throughout Scripture, uh, it does a couple of things for us. One, I think it, it gives us um, maybe a deeper appreciation for the connectedness of, of Scripture. Scripture is this amazing piece of work that, that was put together over generations and hundreds and hundreds of years by different writers, and yet there are connective threads that all the writers are, are picking up on from the people who came before them. And I think we see that with, with water and the ways that water is used throughout Scripture. But I think it also adds some depth and, and richness when we're going to come to the New Testament in a few weeks of the ways that, that baptism is understood and written about in the New Testament and the impact that it has on the early church based in part on, on the work and teachings of Jesus, based in part on some Jewish rituals of, of cleansing, but also based on this long history of, of stories of water and the redemptive um, and even um, saving nature uh, of water. And so that's where we're going to go over the next several weeks. All these lessons will be connected, and so if you're here for the first time today, you're obligated to come back for the length of this series, because otherwise you won't get the full picture. Um, but <laughs> otherwise, um, we'll kind of pick up bits and pieces as we go, but they're all going to kind of be connected. Um, and so hopefully you'll see that, that connective tissue as we go through this. Um, and so it's important then that, that we start with this kind of idea of, of metaphor, uh, that metaphors really help us gain an understanding for the world around us. And in, in part, they give us language that we can use to communicate things, but, but they do more than that. They help us understand our, our world, they help us understand ourselves, and they help us communicate those things to other people. Uh, so for instance... Uh, there are some things that are just easy to communicate and easy to get across. That if I go outside in the middle of Texas in August, all I have to communicate what it feels like is to say, it's hot, right? And you understand. Uh, now, now, we may add some more colorful language to that to really drive home the point of just how hot it is. But if, if, if in our context, you know how hot it is in August in Texas, you know what those words mean. If I just come in and tell you, man, it's hot, I don't have to tell you any more than that, you know. Uh, but there are other things that are a little more difficult to, to explain or to convey in words. So imagine that I have kind of an awkward or uncomfortable experience with another person. And, and maybe this experience is based on, on past experiences with this person that would take far too long to explain to you. Or, or maybe there was just kind of a, I felt like they gave me a weird look. Or there was a, a, a strange tone to their voice that I felt like just kind of made our communication, our, our, our interaction a little off or something. That may be a little harder to explain to you what that experience was like for me or how it made me feel. And so I may use kind of mutually accepted metaphors, like that person was really cold or they seemed distant. Now, they may have been right next to me, so they weren't physically distant, but I'm using a metaphor to explain something that may be difficult to explain in concrete language. And they're shared metaphors that we both have. And we do this so much in life that I don't think we even realize it a lot. And we hear this so much in life that it's just kind of part of, of the way that we interpret the world around us. Uh, you may have seen it, if you think back on our worship so far, you, you, have, you have seen it, whether or not you, you, you saw it, <laughs> um, in a lot of our worship so far this morning. Uh, Psalm 23 is completely based on metaphor, uh, beginning with this metaphor of, of David as a sheep. And so God is my shepherd, and he makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. It's all based on, on this metaphor of David as a sheep. 
Uh, you heard it in the song, It Is Well With My Soul, which uh, I, I completely, it slipped my mind, but Chris said this morning, that's the perfect song for this series. And I was like, you're right, it is. <laughs> and so we're even going to come back to that song next week, too. Uh, but in that song, it's, it's based on, on metaphor, when, when peace like a river attendeth my way. And then we see something else, though, there in that song, because the next line is, when sorrows like sea billows roll, roll. I think it's roll, right? Roll. I had roar in my mind from stuff later, but <laughs> roll. Uh, so some things like water can kind of have dual purpose in their metaphor, that they can communicate peace and comfort and safety and also danger and sorrow and sadness and grief and loss and death. All of that wrapped up in this same imagery of water. Uh, we sort of experienced kind of this dual nature of water uh, when, when we lived at the coast, that, that the water, the, the, the sea, the ocean, the beach, is at times things that you run toward for, for fun and entertainment, and that's where you go to spend their Saturdays, to spend your Saturdays in, until the hurricane comes, and then you learn very quickly out of necessity what hurricane shutters are and how they work, <laughs> and you remember they're back there in your garage, and you, you kept meaning to get them out to, to try to put them on, but you thought, no, nah, there won't be a hurricane while we're here. <laughs> Uh, and then you have to put them on in an hour and get them up and leave. That was fun. Um, uh, so there's this kind of this dual nature of water that we understand and we just kind of intuitively know. And so water can be both peaceful and comforting and fun. And it can be this source of, of sorrow, of loss, of danger, of evil. And so we're going to see that over the course of this series. Water is repeatedly used um, as metaphor in Scripture, and it, it plays a key role throughout Scripture, both literal water and metaphorical water. And a lot of times it is the literal water that is kind of built upon, that the stories of literal water build this kind of metaphorical language of water that runs throughout the narrative then of the Bible. And so in this series, we're going to focus mostly on the redemptive nature of water throughout Scripture. But to start, uh, I want to start with the other side of that, and that is the kind of destructive and chaotic nature of water in Scripture, because I think the other understanding is sort of born out of that. And so specifically this morning, uh, we're going to talk about how danger and evil are dark and chaotic waters. Again, this is something we probably just intuitively understand, um, to, to some extent at least. Who has ever gotten in a completely pitch black swimming pool, like at night? Anybody ever done that? No lights on in the swimming pool? Uh, just a few of us? Okay. Those of us who have, did you feel just a little nervous getting in the water? Yeah, right? Did somebody say it's terrifying? I think somebody said that. Did I? It sounds terrifying? Okay, yeah. Thank you. It is. <laughs> My parents had an above ground pool for a while out in the country, and it was like pitch black outside. Um, and so we would sometimes get brave enough to jump into pitch black water with no lights. Um, and it's kind of scary. Even if you know the water full well, you still don't know, okay, there may be something in this water, um, both realistically in this water, like a snake out in the country, or just Godzilla may be down there because these are dark, chaotic waters that I can't see the bottom of. Uh, so your mind plays tricks on you, and, and, and there are real things that could be issues, but there are also just imagined things that could be issues. So, so we understand the nature of that as, as people kind of in modern society. So imagine the impact of that metaphor on people who would have spent time on the open sea without any modern technology or instruments, uh, people who had not explored the depths of the sea. If we imagine what's under the water, imagine what they would have when they had no idea it was under there. 
uh, and the stories that sailors probably told, right, coming back to shore of sea monsters that they saw come up out of the water. And, and so all of this feeds into this nature of the chaotic waters in Scripture being something of danger and evil. It's where uncertainty lied. It's where death lied. Uh, it was something to be avoided. So, for instance, uh, you see this theme then through a lot of the Old Testament writings, specifically in some of the poetic writings, where things like metaphor are often communicated. Uh, and so you see it, for instance, in Psalm 18. that says, The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. Later on in Psalm 69, So save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulfed me. This idea of deep waters comes up repeatedly as, as something that brings danger, it brings uncertainty, and it is, it is separation from God. It is distance from God. It, it, it looks like me going further and further away from, from God and or the, the presence of God. And so in both Psalms, the plight of the author is described as, as sinking down into these deep waters. And if you were with us for our Jonah series, or if you've read Jonah on your own, you may remember that, that it's from those two Psalms that Jonah borrows some of the language from his prayer as he sinks down into the deep waters. These are repeated words that Jewish people would have known and, and used to communicate their own experiences in life. So danger and evil are dark and chaotic waters. And so what we find then is that as you continue through the Old Testament, humans then who act in violent or evil or destructive ways are also described as dark and chaotic waters. Uh, so for instance, this is from Isaiah 17. This is Isaiah 17 verse 12. Woe to the many nations that rage. They rage like the raging sea. So people are, are capable of becoming chaotic waters. You see this a lot in Psalms as well, where enemies are described as raging waters. Woe to the peoples who roar. There's where I was thinking of the word roar. They roar like the roaring of great waters. And so again, we, we have these building narratives. Uh, danger and evil are dark and chaotic waters. And people then who act in violence against other people or rebel against God are also dark and chaotic waters. But this is where we start to see the kind of dual nature of, of water and the metaphor here. Because we also find throughout Scripture, starting at the very beginning, that part of the story of Scripture is God's power over dark and chaotic waters. That God can bring order, can bring life, can bring renewal to dark and chaotic waters. And so we're going to see this right on the first page of Scripture. So if you want to turn uh, to your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 1. This, this, these verses are going to be on the screen as well. But um, for the rest of, of the time, we're going to go through the whole Bible. We're going to start in Genesis 1 and end in the last chapter in Revelation 22. So, um, so if you, you'll know where to find those two. Yeah, as Chris looks at his watch. <laughs> just, those, just the bookends, though. But you can tell people later on today that you went through the whole Bible in, in church this morning. And it's the worst sermon you ever heard. So. <laughs> um, but anyways, so starting in Genesis 1. This is how the story of God is introduced to us. Okay, now listen to this. Genesis 1, 1. 
Uh, I actually don't have this down, so I'm going to have to actually open my Bible. Luckily, that one's easy to find. Genesis 1-1 begins this way, except the pages are stuck together. Uh, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. In other words, it was chaos. There was no structure to it. There were no rules governing anything that was happening. It was chaos. It was dark. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So darkness was over the surface surface of the deep, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. Now there are a couple of words here that we're going to come back to later in this series. Uh, Words like the Spirit of God is something that's going to keep coming up. Uh, Also this idea of, of the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. These are images that are going to keep coming up in other stories. Uh, and, and perhaps most connected to both of those images, you may remember, uh, comes in the New Testament in Jesus' baptism, where the Spirit of God is hovering over Jesus in the waters of his baptism. So all of these are connected images that run throughout the narrative of Scripture. Uh, but for today, we're going to focus on these words deep uh, and, and waters. The word deep there literally means a, a deep abyss or a deep bottomless sea. And so what we have described here at the beginning is dark, chaotic waters. Uh, That God isn't beginning, quote-unquote, creation with with a completely blank slate. It's not that there is nothing. It's that there is this vast emptiness of dark, chaotic waters that has no form, uh, that is just pure chaos, um, and it is crying out for order and for life. And so there's something that needs to happen to bring order to this chaos. Our introduction then to water in Scripture is as an obstacle to life and order. Something has to happen. A power has to be exerted on this chaotic, dark water in order for creation as we know it to be formed. And so as you go through the story of what we call the story of creation, God then goes about doing two things. Uh, He separates light from the darkness And he separates the waters so that there is land. So continue then in Genesis 1. We're going to pick up in verse 6 now. So this is after the stuff about light. And in verse 6 it says, And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. Which is really weird if you think about it, that there's envisioned this like body of water now above us and body of water now on the ground. And it was so. God called the vault sky. There was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place uh, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land. And the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. So we have this separating now. The separating of light and darkness. The separating of the waters. And which brings about the gathering of land upon which people can live uh, and, and inhabit the earth. And find safety that they wouldn't obviously be able to find in chaotic dark waters. So from the beginning chaotic waters are an obstruction to life. Danger and evil are dark and chaotic waters from the first page of Scripture. 
Uh, and so then you get to Genesis 2, which is basically a retelling of the creation narrative in Genesis 1. And I told you we were going to just do one chapter. We're actually going to do Genesis 1 and 2. Then I promise we will go all the way to the end. Um, so Genesis 2 is basically a retelling of the creation story in Genesis 1. And so we're going to pick up here in Genesis 2, verse 4, and listen to, um, listen to how water is described here. And this is going to get a little bit, um, I've come to like the term wonky. Um, here, like when people refer to politics, like you get too in the weeds or something, it's kind of getting wonky. We're going to get wonky a little bit here with some Hebrew words. So just hang with me for a minute. Uh, so Genesis 2, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. So farmers would understand this, right? If you don't have a, somebody to work the ground and you don't have rain, you're not going to have many crops. <laughs> uh, this just makes sense. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust or from the ground uh, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Uh, so a couple of things here. There hasn't been any rain, so it says God is bringing about streams from the earth in order to give life to the ground. That word for streams is the Hebrew word aid. Uh, it looks like ed in, in kind of English transliterated wording, uh, but it's just two letters and it's pronounced aid. So he brings up aid from the ground. Then the Lord God brings up man from the ground. Man there is the word Adam, which is where we get Adam, Adam and Eve, man, Adam, which sounds very much like aid. Uh, it's the same two letters with one letter added. And so there's this connectedness from the beginning of creation between water and man. Man is aid, two letters, and then man, I'm mean, sorry, water is aid, two letters. Man is just one letter added to that. There's a connectivity uh, between the imagery and the ways, the, the kind of poetic ways that man and water are described, both coming out of the ground, both having a part in, in the kind of bringing forth of life in the Garden of Eden. Uh, and so water here begins to be pictured as something good. So it says, The Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. We've got this life-giving nature of water, right? This is the good, the good side of water, if you will, uh, as water plays good cop, bad cop throughout Scripture. This is good cop water. It's giving life to the Garden of Eden. A river flowing, uh, flowed from Eden. From there, but listen to this, from there it was separated into four headwaters. Okay, so you have people and water who are connected kind of in, in the terms of the way they are described, both existing in Eden. And they are life-giving uh, forces in Eden. Uh, they are, man is working the ground, and, and the water is watering the ground. They, they both help propel this, this uh, 
this connectivity with God and this bringing of life to creation. Then it says, now the waters have separated and they're going all over the world. As you go through Genesis, what happens is people leave Eden and are separated and they're scattered. And they are usually scattered as a result of their sin and their violence and their rebellion. So when Adam and Eve sin, they are cast out of the Garden of Eden and they are separated from God. When their son kills his brother, he is sent further away from Eden and he is separated from his family and from God and he goes further away from Eden. Uh, after Noah, Noah, uh, God says God's going to scatter or separate Noah's family after the flood. Uh, and so the people then, they don't want to be scattered, so they say, we're going to make a name for ourselves, and we're going to build this great tower of Babel so that we can reach heaven, and we're going to make a name for ourselves and make ourselves great. So God says, all right. So he confuses them with their language and scatters them even more. And so as you move further and further away from Eden, people become more and more scattered and separated, and like the waters flowing and separating into raging and violent seas, so too people separate and become forces of evil and destruction in chaotic waters in the world. And you see this, this idea of as life flows out of Eden and continues away from Eden, humans reintroduce chaos into the world and, and life begins to look in, in ways that God didn't intend. Um, humans are violent, rebellious, and prideful and the dark waters that they then become threaten, engulf, besiege, and rage. And as humanity drifts further and further away from the ideal uh, picture of connectedness of God uh, with God in Eden, uh, we find this imagery continue. But God remembers his people and provides rescue. He redeems, he restores, he revitalizes, he refreshes. Uh, so earlier, we looked at the first part of Psalm 18, which talks about sinking into the miry depths, you may remember. And so this is, this is what comes on later, though, in Psalm 18. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. So here we have, again, enemies connected to waters, but God is stronger than the waters and stronger than the enemies, and he has lifted me out. Uh, in Isaiah 17 that we looked at earlier, uh, the, the conclusion of that, uh, if you remember, I'm going to go back and read this first part again. You don't have to go back, um, Jamie. But uh, Isaiah 17 starts with, Woe to the many nations that rage. They rage like the raging sea. Woe to the peoples who roar. They roar like the roaring of great waters. But right after that, it says, Although the peoples roar like the roar of surging waters, when he rebukes them, they flee far away. So even as people rage against me uh, like raging waters, God has the power to make them flee and to turn away. Uh, later on then in Isaiah, God says this, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers... They will not sweep over you. And so again, we have these building metaphors. Uh, death and evil are dark and chaotic waters. And people who act out in violence against other people or rebel against God are also dark and chaotic waters. But God is the hope in the midst of dark and chaotic waters. 
And this is through, from literally the first page of Scripture, all through Israel's story. We're going to look at two narratives of that next week with, with Noah and the flood, uh, the flood and then the, the crossing of the Red Sea. It's, through, it's true throughout Israel's history, and it's true once you come to the New Testament and the living water of Christ. And so, uh, like I said, we, we started there at the beginning, uh, and now we're going to go and we're going to finish up in Revelation chapter 22, the very last chapter of the Bible. And so, if, if you just want, um, this is one of those things that's just really cool to me, just about the way the Bible is put together and the way that God has structured this story. So you have this story of creation at the beginning. Uh, that's how it starts in Genesis 1. And then this is literally how, uh, how the Bible, as we have it put together, ends. This is the end of, of John's revelation in the book of Revelation. And he has this revelation, this vision of this kind of renewed city of God. Uh, this, this renewed Jerusalem, or it's kind of pictured as this restored or renewed picture of Eden, where, where God and people will be fully kind of brought back together in harmony and relationship. And so this is part of the description of that city then in Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. Now we have the tree that was in the beginning coming back. Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. So remember, darkness and chaos are the, the images at the beginning. Uh, and now the water is being redeemed into this peaceful river, and there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp for the light or the light of the sun, for the Lord will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. For his, gar for his garden and for his good. That's in Isaiah 2. It's a great one that you can go read later. Uh, so the full realization of the kingdom and fulfillment of the promise is a river of life that is flowing through the city of God. The chaotic waters flow again as a peaceful river in this sort of, of reimagined and restored Eden. And so some of us here this morning know what it feels like to be in dark and chaotic waters. Uh, you could have done without any of the other explanation. You know what that feels like. Uh, some of us know what it feels like for other people to, to rage against us or to be dark or chaotic waters who, who are, are forcing their way upon us. But the good news of God throughout the Bible is that the God who brought order and purpose and life to the chaos at the beginning is still at work in bringing order and purpose and life to our chaos as well. And the amazing grace of God is that he is working to break the power of sin and darkness over our own lives and to bring order, and, uh, order out of our own chaos. That the God of creation has not finished making things new. And so the picture of, of baptism then that we come to in the New Testament is, is this one of, of restoration and newness, of people rising out of the water of baptism as a new creation in Christ. 
one that has been redeemed from the dark and chaotic waters of the world and who has experienced this living water of Christ. Uh, so maybe this morning you are, are crying out for God in this state of, of still waiting for that hand to come down and reach, reach out and grab you. Uh, if, if that's you, the, the, the story of Psalm 69 kind of continues that metaphor, that, that it is someone still waiting for that redemptive moment. Maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. Maybe you are in a place where, where you want to experience that, that life-giving water of baptism as, as you put on Christ in that way. Uh, or maybe you simply need to be reminded that in the chaos of your life, God is at work um, and God can bring order to your chaos. Uh, whatever it is, we're going to uh, focus on those things as we share in communion this morning. So I'm going to uh, invite uh, our, our band to come back up. Uh, and we're going to sing this song together about God's amazing grace in our lives. Uh, and then we're going to share in communion as we are reminded uh, of the opportunity we have in Christ to come to renewed uh, relationship and standing with God and to, to experience this life-giving river of life. Uh, that comes through Christ, who is our living water. So let's stand and sing together, um, and then we'll uh, pray and share in communion this morning.
together. I'll pray the parts in white and together we'll pray the parts in yellow. Our Father, we confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the, of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. You may be seated. 